0: and welcome to episode number seven of the Anno Domini podcast, a podcast dedicated to the supremacy of Christ over all things, including our days, weeks, and months. Join me as we explore how Christ is revealed through the cyclical life of the church calendar year. We'll discover how this calendar once structured culture and how it can again. We'll also discuss practical ways to observe and celebrate these holy days in our quest to glorify God and live the good life in the midst of all the good he has given us. We have made it through the season of Advent, and now we approach our next holiday on the church calendar, Epiphany. Epiphany is the culmination of the Christmas season, and it comes after the 12 days of Christmas are over. It's a time when we celebrate the coming of the Messiah unto the Gentiles, and up until the 19th century, it was on par with Christmas Day itself, earning itself the title of Little Christmas. As I've said before, Epiphany, like any of the feasts and festivals found on the church calendar, are not a requirement for Christians to observe, but a blessing for those of us who enjoy the liberty found in the gospel. Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. If celebrating a holiday that is found only in tradition and not in the revealed Word of God bothers your conscience, then by all means, sit this celebration out. Just remember this. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Lord's Day is not a day that we have the option to take or leave. It is the day God has set aside for us to rest and worship Him, to celebrate the victory of the Christ over sin, Satan, and death itself. Have you ever heard of the 12 days of Christmas? You know the song. But contrary to popular belief now, the first day of Christmas is actually... Christmas Day, or December 25th, and each following day until the evening of January 5th, or the 12th day of Christmas, which is also called Twelfth Night, those are the 12 days of Christmas. Westerners, unfortunately, now generally start our Christmas preparations on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, Uh, and then we work at a frenzied pace to get everything ready for one day only, pretty much just one day. We then give all or most of our gifts on December 25th, and many people have the tree, the decorations. They've got it all taken down by the next day, by December 26th. And so it oftentimes can be a frenzied pace to get it all together, and then it all happens on one day, and then it's over. This, I believe, is one of the reasons why Christmas oftentimes can leave people feeling, uh, to a certain extent, hollow, or to another extent... Uh, as if they 've been let down somehow, the the holiday didn't lead up didn't live up to their expectation, and as a result of that, um, oftentimes disappointment can reign from that period of december twenty fifth uh, through new year's it hasn 't always been like this though before the nineteenth century, when the industrial revolution put an end to extended celebrations, and efficiency became the order of the day, Epiphany was actually considered more important, or at least on par, with Christmas Day itself. We would spread our gift-giving and merrymaking out over 12 days. Each day would usually celebrate a different aspect of Christianity and our heritage and our history. Um, One day we might celebrate the first martyr of the church, Stephen, Uh, Another day we mark and mourn the slaughter of the innocents by the hand of the Romans in Herod in Bethlehem. This all happens on different days throughout those 12 days of Christmas, and this would all be building up to the very biggest part of the celebration, which happens on the evening of January 5th, or 12th night, which was the eve of the Feast of Epiphany. So January 5th is the 12th day of Christmas, Epiphany is January 6th. These were times meant for singing and caroling from door to door. It was a time of feasting and eating lots of great food with friends and family. It was also a time for making and eating something called king's cake, which has all kinds of different variations. Um, one of the variations I'm most familiar with is called panettone. It's an Italian bread, sweet bread. Uh, one of the fun things about the king's cake is usually a dried bean would be placed On one side of the cake, and a dried pea placed somewhere on the other side, the men and the boys would eat the side containing the bean, and the women and the girls would eat the side containing the dried pea. Whoever found the bean would be king for the day, and whoever found found the dried pea is queen for the day. Uh, Historically, also, kids will dress up on Epiphany. They'll dress up often, usually as the three wise men. Uh, And they'll do nativity skits, they'll sing songs, they'll go door-to-door caroling and receiving candy, coins, and and many, many smiles. Uh, In fact, I actually found a video, a very obscure video, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But it was a good representation of what Epiphany celebrations looked like 60 years ago in the heavily Protestant um, area of Holland. Uh, It's a very, very neat video showing all these kids dressed up as the three wise men. Usually they dress up as three kings. Uh, going door to door, singing songs. It's it's a lot of fun. So check the show notes for that. because That's a great little uh, YouTube video. It's only a couple minutes long. But the word epiphany means manifestation. That's what that's what epiphany means. It means manifestation, which honestly, I, I think manifestation is, is somewhat of a difficult word as well. Uh, and so Noah Webster actually defines manifestation this way. He says manifestation. Now, just a quick note, Noah Webster was um, an am- amazing man, amazing Christian man, and his um, knowledge of the English language was definitive in setting our definitions. Um, in, in our age of everything being political, um, you'll notice that even the dictionary has been heavily politicized um, to become much more secular in almost everything. So I love using the 1828 Noah Webster dictionary. I have a big copy. Uh, on our uh, coffee table, uh, and I use the 1828 uh, uh, Noah Webster Dictionary online resource all the time. So, uh, and that was just because I want to inform myself uh, as much as I can from men and women who feared God, not from uh, men and women who don't, because we all know that knowledge and wisdom start with the fear of the Lord. So, how does Noah Webster define manifestation? It's, it's like this He says, quote, it's the act of disclosing what is secret, unseen, or obscure. Also, it's the discovery to the eye or to the understanding. So it's, it's a way in which we discover or we understand. It's also the exhibition of anything by clear evidence or display as the manifestation of God's power in creation or of his benevolence and redemption. Close quote. What this means, of course, is that manifestation is a revealing, An epiphany marks the beginning of the season of manifestation, or the season of revealing. Over the next several weeks, we will see Christ being revealed in various ways. He, of course, is revealed on epiphany to the Magi, or the wise men. On Sunday, January 12th, we will celebrate him being revealed to the world through his public baptism. On the Sunday of February 2nd, we will celebrate his revealing at the temple to Simeon. Simeon realized, or it was manifested unto him, it was revealed to him, that he, Simeon, was in the presence of the Savior of the world, a light to the Gentiles and a glory for Israel. And following that on, February 23rd, we'll celebrate Christ's revealing himself to the inner three disciples through his transfiguration. He revealed to them in his transfiguration all his glory. And this revealing culminates as Christ goes into the desert and reveals himself to Satan and does battle with Satan for 40 days. This is marked on February 26th by Ash Wednesday, and it's the beginning of a transition from the season of Epiphany to the season of Lent. Up until Lent, we will mark each Sunday as the Sunday after Epiphany. So I'm recording this on January 4th. On January 5th, tomorrow, that's still not quite Epiphany. It's the second Sunday after Christmas. January 12th, the the Sunday following tomorrows, is the first Sunday after Epiphany. And after that, we will will mark the, the Sundays as the first Sunday after Epiphany, the second Sunday after Epiphany, and likewise. Likewise, the Lord's Day on March 1st is known as the first Sunday after Lent. It's that first Sunday after Ash Wednesday. In this way of marking the days, we are always finding ourselves in a particular season. Right now, we are just on the cusp of the season of Epiphany. We're just finishing up the season of Advent and Christmas, which is itself the season of Epiphany, celebrating the coming light of Christ unto the Gentiles by the coming of the Magi, or wise men, unto Jesus. These wise men were sometimes called three kings, Although, of course, we have no way of knowing if they were kings or not. These three wise men, though, they're representative, in a way, of the Gentile world. They were not Jews, but the glory of the Lord was revealed to them. They were not Jews, but they saw the light of God and followed the star, the glory of the Lord. And by doing so, they found the Christ and salvation as a result. They were not Jews, but they did not come empty-handed, but brought gifts This theme of light and darkness has been prevalent throughout the entire Advent season, and in some ways it reaches its zenith during Epiphany. Christ came first for the Jews, and when they as a whole rejected Him, refused to seek Him, and would bring Him no gifts, the Gentiles, as our text will reveal, flying like the clouds, came from all four corners of the earth unto the Savior." And the reason why they came like the clouds unto the Savior is because they had been sitting in a great darkness, and upon them a light had dawned. So, traditionally, Epiphany is the time that Christians take down their Christmas decorations. After celebrating the birth of Christ and the various aspects of the 12 days of Christmas in one fashion or another, it's time for a transition. And it's time to move into the season of Epiphany when, as we've discussed, Christ reveals himself in various ways to the world. The way our family has marked Epiphany for several years now is by taking our Christmas tree outside in the darkness of the night and we set it on fire. Then we all shout at the top of our lungs, Jesus is the light of the world. It is a glorious end to a glorious season. Our last segment combined both the historical with the practical, and so in this section I'm going to look at the Biblical passage found in our lectionary surrounding Epiphany, and one of the passages in particular is that of Isaiah 60, verses 1-9. through The actual lectionary text only takes it through verse 6, but I wanted to include the following three verses in that passage for the discussion, and because it's such a glorious end to the passage. So let's read the text. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are those that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me The ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. That's the word of the Lord. So the themes of light within the lectionary during this portion of the year, they're everywhere. And in this passage, God's people are told to shine because their light has come. This is really interesting because this means that as God's people, we are a sort of moon uh, to the sun of righteousness. We're a sort of lunar light to the sun of righteousness. We reflect His glory, and even though the world is covered in darkness, His glory will be seen on us, and the nations will come to our light, the light we're reflecting of His. This is, of course, what Epiphany is celebrating, the coming of the nations unto the sun of righteousness following the one true star, Jesus Christ, who is, of course, the bright morning star. And those who follow him receive his light and can then reflect that light to an unbelieving world. In fact, this is interesting. Isaiah promises the believers of that day that in the day and the coming of Christ, the nations shall come to the light of the people of Israel and kings to the brightness of their rising. This is interesting because the epistle reading for Epiphany is found in Ephesians chapter 3. So we're in Isaiah 60 right now, but every lectionary reading has an Old Testament, a psalm reading, an epistle reading, and a gospel reading. The gospel reading for this week, of course, is the coming of the Magi. But the epistle reading uh, is in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verses 1 through 12, where Paul explains that the Gentiles are, quote, "...fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel." Close quote. This means that there is no longer Jews and Gentiles, not at least in the sense of the Jewish people specifically being the chosen of God any longer. You see, that status no longer has the, uh, how, you, how would you put it, the genetic requirements or stipulations that it once had. Before, you were a Jew if you were born a Jew, Now, since the coming of Christ, being one of God's chosen people means that you recognize Jesus as the King, the Son of God, and that He died for you and rose again to save you from your own wickedness. The Jews, 2,000 years ago, rejected this idea, and the Jews still reject it today. This means that the church, baptized believers, are the true recipients of these promises found in Isaiah. When it says that your sons shall come from afar... Those are our sons. When God says he will beautify his beautiful house, we are the living stones that make up that house. We are those that fly like clouds and like doves to Christ. We are those who hope for him in whom he has made beautiful. And this is true of everyone who believes on Jesus. Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, all can come to Christ in faith and he promises never to turn any away who come to him. For the musical portion of the podcast today, we'll be examining not a hymn, but a setting of Psalm 67. While there are many incredible Epiphany hymns, and I'd even chosen one to share with you, uh, it was just not ready in time to share. So instead... We will look at Psalm 67. Now that, that hymn that I was planning on sharing, we'll get to eventually, it just won't be a part of the uh, Epiphany uh, podcast today. Now I'm not going to spend a lot of time discussing the psalm, except to say that it fits very nicely within the theme of Epiphany, even though it's not a part of our lectionary reading. And it fits so nicely because it asks God, it, the, the, the psalmist asks God to make his face to shine Upon um, the people that he's that his ways may be known in all the earth and his salvation known among all nations, it also speaks to the fact that the earth will be governed by God and will as a result yield her increase. This psalm is sung verbatim from the new te- from the new King James version. Verbatim means that it hasn't been set to any type of metrical tune uh, at least from the standpoint of Uh, it hasn't been made to rhyme or anything like that. I'll probably go to my grave remembering this entire psalm word for word because it has been set to music. And a psalm literally means song. So really all 150 psalms ought to be and used to be sung. And that's why I put this particular psalm to music so that I could learn it myself and so I could teach it to my children. And, you know, it's, I want to stop here and just make a brief point that as the church has fairly recently moved from maturity into immaturity, one of the first things to go was the singing of psalms, replacing them with hymns only. And then these hymns were replaced by contemporary worship music and praise choruses. And and finally, many churches find themselves singing songs that were meant for kids and often have more in common with romantic love songs in the worship of the triune God. This is what it's meant when some critique worship songs as being quote, Jesus is my boyfriend songs. A Jesus is my boyfriend song is a song that follows the pattern of pop music instead of scripture. It's a song where you could replace the name of Jesus with the name of your boyfriend and the song would largely remain unchanged. And this causes many of us to stay what has been dubbed Perpetual spiritual kindergarten. Spiritual kindergarten is the idea that instead of growing in grace and truth and maturity and growing up and sinking our teeth into the meat of the Word, instead of us growing in the fruit of the Spirit, instead of us seeing those around us, our children and grandchildren, grow in that grace too, we perpetually stay immature. We perpetually stay on the milk of the Word and will confuse childish faith with childlike faith. Those are two very different things. And by doing this, we lose much of the blessings we could receive. And we could receive these blessings if we would stay in the Word, specifically stay in the Psalter or the Book of Psalms. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful Twelfth Night and a wonderful Feast of the Epiphany. The next major celebration in the church calendar is Ash Wednesday. At least it's major by my estimation, and that marks the beginning of Lent. So this season of Epiphany that we're in, we have many Sundays where we celebrate things like the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration and those kinds of things, but it's not until Ash Wednesday on February 26th that the next major part of the church calendar starts. I may do another podcast during Epiphany, and I may wait until the start of Lent for the next one. I I haven't really decided yet because I have a lot of music that I would like to prepare for following podcasts. But producing the podcast and producing music are two uh, very different and very time-intensive things. So I may focus more of my attention on creating some of that music for future podcasts. Either way, I haven't decided yet, but stay tuned and enjoy this time of the light coming unto Gentiles, the new Israel. And until then, enjoy this setting of Psalm 67, and we'll see you for the next Anno Domini podcast.
1: The peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern. Let the peoples praise you, O God, Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase, God our own, God shall bless us, God shall bless us, And all the ends of the earth shall fear Him.